Hello and welcome to The View from the Lane, our Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. My name is Jack Pitbrook. I'm joined again today by James Moore and Charlie Eccleshare. Charlie has just made it down here to our studio from the Tottenham training ground where he's been at Jose Mourinho's press conference. Charlie, how was he? He was all right, yeah. Uh, I think um, trying to see the positives from the weekend, um, reasonably engaging, uh, especially when the topics were kind of not Harry Kane or transfers, which he's been asked about a lot uh, of late. But yeah, no, he was on decent form. Do you sense he was more positive after the weekend, even though they lost? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the, the way the question was phrased to him was suggesting that it was a positive thing and that the fans had taken the positives and we'll get on to the extent to which that's true. Um, but I think um, I think he does feel there were positives to be taken taken from the game, yeah. And you you asked him about formation, is that right? Yeah, so this has been a bit of a recurring theme, uh, I think, since he took over, that he has been willing to engage on this sort of topic. Um, and, and actually, I asked him about something last week and had a bit of a you moment. Um, you know, I felt like a bit of a fanboy. But I asked, I asked a question and he said, I, re- I like the question. That's actually what I would have asked. Uh, to sort of butter me up, to then slap me down by saying, but I can't answer that question. So it was a classic kind of give with one hand, take with the other. Uh, and so on that occasion, that was about, um, you know, how they set up without Kane and whether that would be any different. Today I asked him about, um, he's kind of switched between a back three and a back four, which I think has been quite interesting. Um, uh, and he's been quite flexible on that. And he basically in response said that if you want to know how I want to play at Tottenham, look no further than the first game. That was the paradigm. Ben Davis is the left back, back four and they're defending uh, through and they're in attack. And yeah, he, he was very open about how important Ben Davis is. Uh, someone who, you know, before the start of the season, I don't think would have many Spurs fans would have anticipated becoming the club's key man. But in uh, Mourinho's eyes, he seems to be there. Look, if you want to, if you want to know what I wanted to do here, you look to my first game against West Ham. That's the way I thought I was going to develop the team. Defend with the back four, attack with the back three. That means that my left back defends as a left back and then when we go in attacking organization, my left back becomes one of the three in the back, build with three, project the right back and do overloads on, on the other side. That that was the way I wanted to develop the team. That was the first day of unlucky. Goodbye Ben Davies and then in my case I lose Ben when I had something in here, something that I felt. Then we we tried, we tried, but then the players are different players and then it's it's, it's a difficult situation but it's a situation that helps me to understand better and better and better uh, lots of uh, of the players and the options and what they have to give and what they don't have to give. Do we buy this excuse about Ben Davis or is this just classic Jose, I don't even know what the verb is here, excuse making? Mourinhoism. Mourinhoism. Uh, I, I do buy it to a degree. You can see that Ben Davis is pretty much a perfect fit for that system and that he's the left back who's probably more comfortable being the third centre back than he is the second left winger, if you see what I mean. So he does, he does suit that system perfectly. Uh, but as Charlie says, it is quite a strange situation for the club to be entirely dependent on this guy who was essentially like an like a second choice left back for years and years. He's definitely having, um, you know how players often have their best games when they're not there. Yeah, he, yeah. he does seem to be, because 
that is a system Mourinho said he wants to play or he wants to try. And he has done a bit, you know, we saw it with Vertonghen. Uh, but that now I think Vertonghen as a left back probably we won't see too much of again. But, you know, the more they're not able to play the system, the more, you know, they had a 100% record doing it with Ben Davis. So he almost looks better with each week that he, uh, that he can't play. Yeah, there's a really interesting piece by Jonathan Lewin in The Guardian published on Sunday about exactly this, where he says that Mourinho's new approach, he describes it as negging. Uh, <laughs> that is, you know, putting someone down so that they become dependent upon you, I suppose. And it, this excuse, I, can, I totally get the logic and he makes it quite convincingly, but sometimes you do have to stop and think, hold on a second, like how, how can you argue that Ben Davis, who's only played, what, an hour of football for you, and who has been second choice left back over the last few years is suddenly like the indispensable man and the reason why you can't get what you you can't deliver the results of performances that you say that you want to. Is that fair? I mean, I'd say that Ben Davis element is only one small part of the whole mm. kind of yeah. situation at the moment. And the approach to that game on Saturday, I think, even in defeat I think was entirely justified by the way the game went Spurs frustrated Liverpool they restricted them to by Liverpool standards relatively few good chances Uh, they kept themselves in the game until the last 20 minutes and then had the opportunities to get an equaliser and you could probably argue that maybe they should have had one Uh, that does sound a bit like you know a a lower league team playing against a Premier League team in a cup tie but you do have to acknowledge that there is now a pretty big chasm between Liverpool and Spurs and that's not necessarily entirely uh, all of Mourinho's making yeah I think it's a really interesting one like it's I think that the uh, I think Saturday's game has been really divisive like um, you know on one hand there is that on one extreme there is that view that it was you know it was too negative and you know a club like Tottenham should never be playing in that way I think the other side of that is as James says they were playing a you know, a generation-defining team who were in a ridiculous run of form. What was it? Before the game, they'd won 20 out of 21. Um, now 21 out of 22, I think. So, you know, you do kind of have to tailor your approach. And we have seen, you know, you look at, say, the Bayern Munich game earlier in the season, and that's probably an example of being too open yeah. uh, against an effective team. And Bayern, and, and Spurs got hammered 7-2. And I don't think there were many fans on that occasion saying like, well, we lost 7-2, but fair play, we, we gave it a good old go. Yeah. You know, there, there is a balance to be struck there. And I, I, I felt more positive about uh, the weekend's game. I, I think it was, it was a decent performance um, under the circumstances. Like they, they were missing key players and I, maybe I'm sounding like Jose, but you know that, that was the reality. I think given all of that, a game in which if that finishes as a draw, I don't think anyone's saying that's a travesty. I think I think you'd say that's pretty fair. And yeah. I, I think that's that's you know not a terrible result against the runaway league leaders. Like, like it or not, Liverpool are the best team in Europe. And if Mourinho and Spurs had done that, or any manager had done that with Spurs against Madrid or Barcelona or whoever else... Bayern Munich. And, and got, yeah, Bayern Munich. And got away with it and got the result or even just limited that team to a 1-0, people would be delighted with, with how that had gone. Uh, you can't... You know, you can't take anything away from Liverpool. It's it is difficult to swallow because Spurs finished above Liverpool, I think, in eight of the last nine seasons or whatever it is. But the reality is they they're so so far ahead now, and to play in that kind of pragmatic way in that kind of fixture, I don't think is is wrong. Playing like that against you know Brighton or whoever would be, I think, would be something that I'd be uncomfortable with. But doing it in a game like that, especially because it nearly worked. I think you've got to see that as a step in the right direction, particularly given 
the way the team played against both Manchester United and Chelsea, the other two top sides they've played since since Mourinho has taken over in the Premier League at least. I think and just look really poor and disorganised. In this game, they look well organised and look like they had a plan and they almost uh, got it completely right. It's really interesting, isn't it? Because um, I was talking to this with some other journalists as well, that how important the context is. Because I think, and, and Jack, your piece did this really well, I think, if you, if you take away the Mourinho element, let's say that was Mikel Arteta, a manager who there's no baggage about. I think, you know, you'd be saying... That's, you know, from a team that looked shambolic earlier in the season, they had a plan. You know, they looked like they knew what they were doing and they were very close to, you know, to getting the result they wanted. Obviously, we can't divorce that from Mourinho and everything that's gone before and the fact that he does come in with a reputation as a pragmatic or a negative manager. And so it's it's difficult, you know, divorcing those two things and just judging the game on its individual merits and whether you should judge the game on its individual merits or whether, you know, there is an obligation for him and for everyone watching that game to think of what it means in the bigger picture. I don't disagree with anything you said, James. Like I, There's a but coming here. Yeah, like obviously the tactics worked in the sense that Tottenham had a chance. You know, Tottenham were in the game. They could have gotten and draw easily. They didn't get destroyed. They looked more coherent than they had done in the past. Um, so I, I, I'm not, I'm not criticising Mourinho for playing that way, but I do think it, I think it's basically wrong to play that way. If you're Tottenham, if you're playing in a one billion pound stadium, you just got to the Champions League final. You should have. You got 86 points in 2016-17. It, you know, and yet they're playing uh, as uh, if you know they in the past. As you know, James, they wiped the floor with Conte's Chelsea, Pep City, Klopp's Liverpool at home, and now they're set up playing small team football in their massive stadium. I, I agree with that entirely, and you're absolutely right. But I don't think that's a problem of Mourinho's making. I would say that's more down to poor squad planning be that Levy or Pochettino or whoever else poor recruitment perhaps oh yeah like the problems predate Mourinho and they're not Mourinho's fault but Mourinho has been brought in as a very very particular solution to that problem and I think he is the wrong solution to that problem I can't believe we've we've created the situation whereby I'm defending I know yeah Mm -hmm. but clearly that that's where I am now I just think it's unfair to criticize him for trying to resolve the problems that have been caused by other people and I by no means uh, have I been entirely satisfied with some of the things that have happened in the last two months. Uh, some of the performances have been really bad, and I think some players have probably dropped off yeah. even more than they had done in the first four months of the season. But that performance, for me as a fan, was the most encouraging I think I've seen from Spurs, certainly in the last two months, maybe even in the whole season. It just felt like a, a competent performance. They didn't panic. There was a 20, 20-year-old defender in the team yeah, we should talk and about, we've, yeah. we've all, we'll talk about it in a second. We've all watched games where a player like that has been thrown in and sometimes it's not just that player that panics. Sometimes the players around that the untried youngster will panic as well because they know there's someone in there without any experience. But everyone was level-headed. You know, it probably helped that he made that clearance in the first 90 seconds of the game. Uh, you know, Spurs fans won't need reminding that in a recent game against Liverpool, <laughs> they had conceded a goal within 30 seconds. We don't need to go over all of that again because I'm still very much heartbroken by that. But it was a it was a solid performance. It was a good performance. Liverpool have dropped two points in the Premier League in all in the whole season to Manchester United, I believe. Yeah. Jose Mourinho's defence. Uh, I'm joking. Um, and Spurs effectively frustrated them for much of the game. And I just think you know. You're right, Spurs shouldn't be in a position where they're having to play like that, yeah. having been ahead of Liverpool for such a long time. But that, those two things, you have to detach those two things, I think. 
because that, that isn't the problem that Mourinho has created in that two-month period. He may not have necessarily helped a whole lot, yeah. but I, I just don't see that you can really put the blame for that at his door. Cool. Should we let, let's talk about some let's talk about some good things before we get back to arguing about Mourinho, which we certainly will do. Um, Tanganga, James, as you said, was really really good. Charlie, you this is something you know a lot about, and you wrote about him beforehand. Yeah, so he's been someone I've been interested in. Uh, pretty much since taking this job um just because you know he's one of the most highly rated young players at the club and has come out of nowhere a little bit over the last few years uh, I don't think he was someone he wasn't like a Troy Parrott who at 17 everyone was like this guy is going to make it uh, and, it, and I think it's interesting the way young players develop and he's someone who I think through his kind of level-headedness and maturity and dedication has just kicked on at a time when you know, that's not easy to do. And it's also, it just shows how hard it is to predict which yeah. people are going to do that. You know, there are so many variables. Um, but anyway, so he's been someone I've been, yeah, I've been interested in for a while and following his progress. Um, and so had kind of accumulated quite a lot of background on him. Um, and then, yeah, so for him to start, it was then great. We could uh, run that piece. And, you know, he's someone there is a lot of interest in. And he, and he played brilliantly. I mean, he was really, really composed had one of those debuts where, you know, I think as, as James says, they can go the other way where they come in and look nervous or it can be, and I think back to Danny Rose's debut 10 years ago against Arsenal and before the game, I remember on Sky Sports, Glenn Hoddle saying like sometimes the young player, you put him in and he he's not even, he doesn't really feel the pressure. He can just go out and play. And I, and I felt that with Tanganga. He didn't look particularly pressured by it. It just looked like another game for him. And, uh, and yeah, he was brilliant. And, you know, as Mourinho said, it's like a new signing. feels that yeah. way. What do you think the future holds for Tanganga at Tottenham? Well, I mean, uh, Jose was asked this in the press of the day because, um, you know, technically his contract expires at the end of the season, but Spurs have this option to extend it. And the way uh, I think Mourinho and the club view that is that they absolutely will do that. So it's not the equivalent of like an Ericsson or someone like that. Uh, and then I think there'll be, you know, both player and club, from what I've been told, you know, want to do a deal longer term. So... That's, uh, you know, in discussion at the moment. So it's just a question of all those details being done. But, you know, he's he's been at the club since he was 10 uh, from East London. You know, he, he wants to stay. Obviously, the club now want him. And, um, yeah, hopefully he'll be someone who can, can be there for, for a long while to come. He seemed to basically play right back in a, what was almost a 4-4-2 or sort of 4-4-1-1 on Saturday. Spurs have obviously had a uh, few problems, to say the least, at right back this year. Uh, do you think that this kind of that system with Tanganga at right back and Aurier on the right wing is something that we might see more often? Obviously, City come here in a few weeks' time, and I wonder whether he might do that again, or perhaps even in the Champions League. Yeah, potentially. I mean, I was saying, uh, I think to you on Saturday during the game that right back this season for Tottenham has been a bit like a Sunday League team, where like everyone's had a go there. It seems like you know, that's <laughs> Sissoko playing there. Uh, obviously, it started with Walker Peters. Um, and and now you know good to see Tanganga getting a chance. I, I think that is something that will that's a possibility. It, it does sort of depend on the uh, the Ben Davis question. You know, I think if if he comes back and starts in at left back, then you'll probably see Aurier, um, you know, playing in that attacking right back role. But we're going to see Tanganga again um, against Middlesbrough. Mourinho essentially confirmed that. I suspect that will be in a central role, potentially as a three. But yeah, he he may um, reprise the right-back role, um, which, yeah, it's just great to see him getting minutes. Watford away will be a very different game 
on Saturday and you wonder like to what extent is the plan which they used in this game repeatable in the Watford game do we think they'll go in with the same approach because obviously they can't really do that much in terms of personnel because they don't really have any other players in attacking positions that they can use they might bring on I mean I'd be surprised if he started Lo Celso who doesn't seem that happy with uh, maybe he could bring in Lamella perhaps for a start but I wonder how much development there is with this current set of players given Watford's recent form it actually probably wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to be slightly more pragmatic against yeah. them at the moment uh, particularly I think Casting my mind back, I think Spurs lost their last season. They did, yeah. Early in the season. Lost two set-piece goals. Yeah, yeah. From one up, lost 2-1. Uh, you know, that, that's clearly actually going to be a pretty tricky game now, having looked like it was pretty much a surefire three points a month ago. Nigel Pearson's obviously got a tune out of his squad more quickly or more emphatically than Mourinho has. So I asked on Twitter for people to send in some questions. We'll go into one or two of them now before the break. Um, Hero Cara said... Are Spurs fans now happy to defend with 11 men behind the ball at White Hart Lane rather than having a go when we play the better teams? James, you're a Spurs fan. What do you think? Uh, I, I, on, the basis of, on the basis of that on Saturday, I'd say yes. I mean, and just to reiterate my point from before, you know, Liverpool are the best team in Europe. Yeah. I, mean, I don't think there's really any arguing that now. Whether you necessarily want to play that way against you know, Chelsea or Arsenal or whoever else, possibly not, but against Liverpool and City and if it comes to it in the Champions League against a Barcelona or Madrid or whoever, then I, I think that's probably quite a sensible way to play, particularly while Kane's missing as well. Soaking it up and playing on the counter-attack probably isn't a bad idea. What's your sense of, like, the... what? How many Spurs fans feel that way? How many Spurs fans are, like, pro-Jose or anti-Jose or...? Still, feel, still feels quite split. I mean, I... I've got to say, the first half of that game on Saturday was a bit of an ordeal. And I don't think you would have found too many people that would have been uh, pro that approach at that point. Yeah. But I think, uh, and again to repeat, from the way the game kind of unfolded in the second half, I, I feel like that won over a lot of people. And I think that kind of came across in the reaction from the crowd as well. And it wasn't, there wasn't a lot of groaning and moaning and groaning in the, in the second half. You know, there was a lot of encouragement from the stands. It kind of felt like people were kind of on board of it. And you're right. If they play against, if they play like that against Middlesbrough or whoever, then that maybe becomes more of a problem. But I think against the top sides at home and you know in away games where they're going to come under more pressure, I don't think it's not quite a back to basics approach. But I don't think that kind of approach, you know, getting your house in order at the back first and then taking it from there, I don't think that's the worst idea in the world. I mean, ultimately, this is the team still seemingly quite low on confidence and I think even though they lost on Saturday they probably would have gained a lot of confidence from that they would have gained more confidence from that on Saturday I'd say than by beating Brighton on Boxing Day I imagine maybe uh, so I just I every game seems like a turning point in a bad season doesn't it any, any yeah. kind of crumb of comfort you can take you suddenly start to think oh, could this be the moment but <laughs> it did feel like the moment where tactically it, there was a change it felt it felt it felt more Mourinho than anything we've seen, I think. Sure. A question here from Guy Shelton. Do Spurs have an identity under Jose? If so, what is it? If not, why not? Well, to the second point of that, if not, why not? I think probably because it is early days. Um, you know, 13 matches, I think. A couple of months. No real time to work with the players week to week. I think it's had, you know, two full weeks. So I think it's okay at this stage that, you know, you... 
you know you don't necessarily they don't have a philosophy um that's writ large like some other teams i think even you know managers that do like klopp um guardiola that can take a little bit of time to get across but i do think as well he just isn't a manager with that with that kind of philosophy culture i think it is more week to week it's more pragmatic and so that's why you would probably say no you don't know exactly um what it is uh that tottenham represent at this point i think it, it is more changeable and i think it will take longer before we really see that and i do think it's really interesting to see the extent to which um there is a kind of hostility against in inverted commas defensive football uh, if that is the route he wants to go down which we don't know if it is but um you know whether as, as we say you know whether fans will be accepting of that kind of thing i suspect if results are good there's probably more chance that they would be but it just comes down to that whether the results are good when was the last time Tottenham had a pragmatic but successful coach and fans were ready to park any stylistic like preferences in the name of results? I'm not, I'm not too sure. Certainly in my time, there's been a pragmatic and successful coach. Yeah. Well, I mean, I suppose you could say George Graham was a pragmatic and successful yeah. coach, but he certainly wasn't popular. Um I mean, in a way, there's probably a comparison to be made there, isn't there? George Graham coming into the club and seemingly being quite unpopular with the fans to start off with. Obviously, he did win a trophy. Yeah. But, you know, people wouldn't sing his name. They would sing Man in a Raincoat, Blue and White Army. No one would sing his name. I don't know if it would be quite like that Mourinho. Um, you know, uh, Jack Santini was obviously a very pragmatic manager. And I think if you look at the results from... You know, he's only in charge for, like, two or three months. If you look at the results, there were a lot of, like, one-nils and nil-nils. He, the was, a, he was the park, park bus. Of the bus. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Uh, I mean, he definitely wasn't popular. Yeah. I, I think that they are asking... They're asking Spurs fans to give up a lot by appointing Mourinho. Yeah. Like, yeah. Spurs fans who have had, you know, for better or worse, sort of attacking football more often than not for the last sort of 20 years... And now they're now they don't get that anymore. And you ha- you really have to ask people to change to change what they want and how they feel. Yeah, I think it all comes down to as Charlie alluded to before. It all come down to results. And if you know this season may end up being a bit of a write off, certainly in the Premier League, but there's still the FA Cup there and an opportunity to at least go a distance in the Champions League. But next season will be the real test. And if Spurs are competitive in the top four of the Premier League and look like they've got an opportunity to win trophies and ultimately do win something at the end of next season I think that that'll be the moment but if that doesn't happen I, yeah I, I don't see him being a particularly popular man if Spurs are playing negative football and are picking up you know I think they've won is it four of ten under Mourinho in the Premier League maybe five of ten possibly not an incredible record by any stretch better than the first 12 games under Pochettino but not by a lot the thing is like I, I posed this in um piece I wrote last week like if and when Mourinho will have a moment when he cracks because at, at Chelsea in the second spell of Real Madrid uh, on both occasions he was brought there certainly at Chelsea at Bramwich brought him back and it was important that they played in a more attractive way than they had in his first spell which although very successful uh, he was seen to be very pragmatic and Chelsea was seen as quite a boring team and he came back and that was all fine and he was the happy one and all of that and then they lost to Stoke 3-2 in the December of his first season and he basically said right enough's enough we need to sort out our defence and play more pragmatically a couple of weeks later they went to Arsenal just before Christmas the most boring nil-nil and had Mikel and Ramirez as that like deathly double pivot but then they won the league 18 months later um, I don't think you'd say necessarily he transformed the way Chelsea played I'd say that 14-15 uh, 
winning title winning team was probably remembered similarly to that first team but it didn't matter because the results were good likewise at Real they lost 5-0 to Barca and he comes up with that Trevor idea of kind of three DMs um, and I wonder if something will happen similar at Tottenham where you know he'll be able to say well look I know you wanted attacking football but this team has just lost 3-0 to whoever and we need to be more solid and whether A whether he does that and B whether that's accepted in the name of getting results This athletic podcast is brought to you in association with Stitch Fix, an online personal styling service that takes the hard work out of dressing well. To get started, go to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic, fill in a style quiz and tell us about your personal style, budget, size and shape and your clothing needs and wants. A personal stylist will then send you five items of clothing, each handpicked especially for you from our selection of 100 brands, including established names and up-and-coming designers. Try on everything at home and style with other items in your wardrobe. You can then pay for what you love and send back the rest. For your stylist time, you pay a charge of just £10, which is deducted from the cost of anything you decide to buy. Remember, you try before you buy at home, delivery and returns are free both ways, and you don't need a subscription to sign up. Get started with Stitch Fix today and support our podcast by going to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic right now. That's stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic. It's currently Monday afternoon and it looks as if Tottenham are on the brink of making their first signing, getting Portuguese midfielder Gedson Fernandes on loan from Benfica. Uh, this has been quite an interesting story over the last week or so because it initially looked as if Gedson was going to go to West Ham. I think his the, the man claiming to be his agent had an agreement with West Ham. Uh, the deal was quite close to happening, but then other agents, as I understand it, got involved. George Mendes, Pini Zahavi, trying to take him not to West Ham, but to United or Chelsea or, or Tottenham. Uh, Gedson dragged his heels on going to West Ham. And it looks as if Tottenham have won the race, thanks, depending on which reports you believe, to either Mendes or Pini Zahavi. Um, Gedson, I believe, is more of a, not exactly the holding midfielder that Tottenham want. He's more of a number eight, but is very highly rated at Benfica um, for his performances there. Guys, what do we think about this one? I mean, I don't really know uh, a whole lot about him. Uh, I mean, I've done the classic thing of looking at YouTube videos and he looks, as you say, (laughs) looks really good. And the music, on point. Uh, As you say, it it feels like he's probably more of a, in the short term, like a replacement for Sissoko, perhaps. As as you say, more of a number eight, like someone who can carry the ball a bit. Um, Yeah, probably not... That probably wouldn't be the first choice for me as a position to the strengthen in this month. I think right back and centre back and probably striker as well. You'd say, and I think Mourinho would possibly agree with that. Those are areas that Spurs are in greater need of bringing in a player. But a young player on what we believe is going to be an 18-month loan with a view with an option to buy further down the line seems like a seems like a decent deal. It seems like a very Daniel Levy deal as well. Yeah. It uh, also sounds like a very Jose Mourinho deal. Oh, that's true, yeah. Uh, getting, you know... there's Mendes connection. Yeah. yeah, so there's no... Um, like, there's not as much money. This window as I think some people might have hoped. Uh, so Bruno Fernandes, for example, who's someone who they wanted but would have been very expensive, is not an option. 
and that's why they're going for a loan move instead of a player who kind of connected to some influential agents close to Mourinho. Um, it'll be interesting to see how much of an impact he can actually make in the team. Do you yeah. think he'll be thrown quickly in? Well, I, I, will, I am a bit surprised they've gone for another kind of box-to-box um, midfielder, which he apparently isn't. You know, he's got a goal threat. Given that you, you know, you'd say someone like the Chelsea, um, Ndombele when he's fit, I think Lamella, you know, if when he's fit, they, they you know, they're not short-staffed in yeah. those in that position. Whereas they are, as James says, they are <laughs> short-staffed and. Uh, quite a few others so it will be interesting to see how quickly he comes in especially as you know someone like the Chelsea it's Mourinho has said repeatedly you know that he needs time to adapt and that sort of thing so um if Fernandez does come in and gets picked ahead of him I imagine that would be pretty galling especially the way the Chelsea played on the weekend yeah I think that would be a pretty clear indication of uh, uh, Chelsea's future yeah. wouldn't it if if Fernandez comes in and gets in a team ahead of him straight away I mean I suppose you could argue they're slightly different players but regardless, yeah. I think that's that's not going to be a good sign for Celso, is it? I mean, I wonder as well if it does say something about Ndombele's fitness and, and the worries that yeah. Tottenham have about that. Um, but we'll have to see. Yeah, I I I, I really hope Ndombele comes back soon. Mm. I mean, I think he's he's not there yet, is he? No. He was so. He is just an incredible player. Like he, we didn't actually do a podcast after because it was over Christmas, but. His performance at Norwich was one of the best performances I've seen from any Tottenham player this season, which admittedly oh, yeah. is a low bar, but he was really, really good. Yeah. And yet it feels as if, I mean, clearly he's not fully fit and clearly Mourinho isn't averse to making that public mm. uh, in a way which makes you wonder about the relationship between the two of them or why why so much of this is being aired, aired in press conferences. But you would, those of us who want to see Ndombele play a very active role in Tottenham going forward... I mean, it's not looking very good for that, given the arrival of other midfielders in a similar role to him. He may just need time to settle. I think there are you know, players coming from the French League. We have seen that before, that you know, it does just take a season before they're fully up to speed. So I, that's kind of the positive way of looking at it. I'm kind of hopeful that by next year, which is something Pochettino actually said about him and, and all players coming to the Premier League um, shortly before he left. So it may just be he needs a bit more time, but... Um, yeah, slightly concerning, certainly for this season, as to how much he'll play. Um, question from Freddie J. Bear. Any substance to us competing on the Bruno front seems unlikely, but all the right reasons for us to get him. Yeah, so it sounds as if Tottenham are out in the running for this just because, as I said, he would be so expensive. Like, he's a, the asking price. I mean, he's got a release clause, which is very, very high, but the asking price with Sporting Lisbon is effectively €70 million, Euros, which, even though Spurs got quite close to that at the end of the summer window, uh, offering kind of 50 or 60-ish, now that I don't think that's going to fly at all. And it sounds as if someone who does have that money, like Manchester United, would be more likely... Uh, there was a report in one of the papers this week saying that United have been negotiating with Sporting with a view to a permanent move. So it looks as if that one is probably not going to happen. There have been suggestions, haven't there, of a, of a swap potentially, but I don't know how open to that Benfica would be. Um, oh, sorry, Sporting, so yeah, um, we'll have to see Who would that. be the player? Well, well, was Rojo was the player, I think it was talked to. Oh, for United, yeah. yeah. I mean, well, that that's slightly the issue, I suppose. They don't have a huge amount of collateral yeah. to play with. Uh, another one which we get a lot of questions about is Christian Eriksen. So on Saturday at the end of the game, he was waving goodbye to the fans, um, or so it seemed, as if he might be leaving the club. Uh, there's been a lot of speculation that he's right on the brink of this permanent move to Inter Milan, which has been talked about a lot this month. Um, I asked somebody involved in this story and he said it's a little bit premature to say that 
that waiving means that he will definitely move. Like the deal isn't done yet; it's not, it's not concluded. But uh, so it's not, yeah, not there yet. But I still think that what one third of the way into this transfer window, that is probably the likeliest outcome. Just about is that permanent move to Inter. Uh, I think it'll probably hinge on what Antonio Conte wants. Really, like, does he want? to spend his 25, 30 million euros on Ericsson, or does he go for someone else like Arturo Vidal? Uh, but I think he can probably afford one, but not both of those guys over, this, over the window. Um, was Ericsson brought up at the press conference today? He was, yeah. Um, and I mean, Mourinho was interesting, actually, on him. He said, he first he said he'll be involved um, against Middlesbrough in tomorrow's replay, and he said he also may well be involved against Watford, partly so he could then make the point about how you know, Spurs have a lot of injuries and they need everyone, uh, irrespective of contractual situations. He then did say uh, that he didn't think Ericsson played very well against Liverpool. Uh, he was quite open about that, said he's he's not, you know, he's not at his best at the moment. But he said, you know, there are mitigating circumstances and this is something you see a lot of. Um, you know, when players are in the situation, he said, I don't blame the player. It's kind of a natural consequence. He then said again he does know uh, what Ericsson will do, uh, but he said he couldn't say whether he'll stay um, beyond January. But uh, yeah, he, I mean, I, I was quite surprised the way he did just say, yeah, I didn't think he played very well against Liverpool. It, he could have easily straight batted that. Again, it's a kind of classic Mourinho, like that difference to discuss in public individual player performances, which is something which Pochettino yeah. would never, ever, 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 ever do. Is it's interesting to hear it, regardless of what you think of whether or not it's the right thing to do. Um, which is which is an interesting one, actually, isn't it? Because after um, just linking back to Ndombele, I, I tweeted out what he'd said about Ndombele on New Year's Day after the Southampton game of you know he he can't play, da 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 da, he's always injured, and it was met with comics response. You know, some were like, should never do that to a player. Others were like, well, that's what we're all thinking. Mm. What's wrong with it? So I, I think it's quite an interesting one. And same with Ericsson. I'm sure some would feel, well, why the need to say that but others would be like well why shouldn't you just be honest I, I mean think, certainly for us it's brilliant yeah I think one thing that Mourinho is, is smart enough to realise as well is that like fans don't really like the players this was certainly true at Manchester United is he he knew that lots of United fans didn't like the United players they thought that they were lazy and soft and weak and so Mourinho, when, when Mourinho would hammer whether it was I mean Luke Shaw is a best example but it could also have been uh, Martial, Rashford, Pogba, whoever else, he knew that there would always be a lot of United fans who would sympathise with him when he hammered the players in public. Um, and if he, it looks, I mean, I don't know whether it's going to get quite that bad at Tottenham, but I'm sure he must know that if he does do that at Tottenham, there will always be some fans who are like, yeah, you, you should criticise the players. The players deserve it. The players are soft. The players are weak. Certainly someone like Ericsson who who he knows is unpopular. I mean, Ndombele is a bit more of a gamble. But but again, I think that's maybe, um, you know, checking our sort of, we're probably more on the kind of snowflakey side where we would think, you know, that's a bit harsh talking about an injured player like that. But I'm sure there are a lot of people who'd be like, yeah, sort of toughen up and you should play. But like you say, the response to that was really mixed. And I, I saw quite a few people on my timeline that were basically echoing what you've just said there, that, that they, they thought it was fine. Mm. Uh, and that a, a player, you know, if they can't play two games in a week, should be called out for it. Which I'd be in the same because I'd be of the same sort of school of thought as you, and that would probably be a little bit harsh. It's not something you do to a player in the first six months in a new country who you've only managed for six weeks or two months or mm. whatever it was. Uh, but you know, the, the, Ericsson is a, is a slightly different matter where it feels like they're 
Well, he's a much yeah. easier target. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think. Uh, I mean, there were even a few sort of boos and grumbles a couple of times on uh, on yeah, Saturday. Yeah. I mean, I think that's probably putting it mildly. Definitely. Um, big, he's an easy one to throw under the bus, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's uh, not the last time we hear that. Yeah, although the interesting difference is that Mourinho... He did, ha- I should, sorry, he didn't question his effort levels, I should yeah. say that. Uh, Mourinho has, like... He has so much leverage over the future of Ndombele's career that it must actually feel quite intimidating for Ndombele because, you know, this if it, mm. Jose is going to basically decide whether he makes it a Tottenham or not like he can either pick him or not pick him he can criticise him or not criticise him he can loan him out or sell him or any of these things whereas Jose basically has no leverage left over Ericsson like Ericsson is obviously leaving Tottenham at some point in 2020 whether it's to enter this month or on a massive Bosman to PSG or whoever in the summer Um, so I wonder whether so in the case of Ndombele you think he might be playing a bit of a game so Jose believes in this thing called confrontational leadership which is basically like hammering a player in public to try and spark the response to get them to improve and like a lot of what he's done over his career has been has been in that mould whether it was Hazard at Chelsea or Joe Cole first time at Chelsea or like it's kind of one of his great motivational tactics and I wonder whether he might be trying it with Ndombele whereas with Ericsson I think it's not there's not really much of a reaction to spark like Ericsson yeah, is no. Ericsson is, is an established senior international who will be leaving one way or the other yeah that's really interesting as well, Jack, because remember when we spoke on the TIFO uh, podcast and we're talking about that kind of the different generations and whether that sort of style management will work with people, you know, younger people nowadays, you know, may, you know, those kind of tough love. Um, and, you know, the idea was that United, it didn't always work with some of those younger yeah. players. So it'll be really interesting to see how someone like Ndombele, how, uh, how he takes that, because I don't imagine he's had that style of management before, you know, that sort of confrontational being called out for not playing games completely yeah and he was the kind of like boy superstar mm. uh, at Lyon so it, it would be very very different profile from, from what he's used to now because we, we were talking before about how Mourinho's had this issue with kind of millennial players exactly. he's not really gotten through to any of them and we thought that like the great test case for this would be Deli Ali. but I wonder whether Ndombele might in fact be the the best test case instead um Let's squeeze in one or two more questions before the end of the show. Uh, Henry Brunston says, "What is Levy's end game? Does he really want to invest in five or six players to fit a Jose team to then probably change again in two or three years maximum?" Yeah, I mean that's a huge question, isn't it? <laughs> it's is a huge question. It is, but then I think um, you know nowadays managers are more dispensable, so you do it, you either want to invest in the players or you don't, and I think you do that. Uh, you, you know, you want to bring the right players in because you think, well, managers are changeable, so let's just get the right players in. And, and someone like Mourinho, it's interesting, throughout his career, um, it's been reported that when he went back to Chelsea for that second spell, Abramovich was like, you're not going to get a huge amount of say in transfers. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, that's just more typical now. So I think it's not necessarily investing in players and thinking they'll definitely be playing for Mourinho in five years' time. I mean, I don't think under this current ownership, and I... And I which probably isn't unfair to say that it, I don't think there'll ever be a window where they'll invest massively in transfers and spend 150, 200 million pounds. Mm. It just won't. It's not the way they operate. It never has been and yeah. never will be. The, the question would just be how far they lean into Mourinho's, you know, style of football and, and way of thinking. You know, whether they'll bring in more kind of senior players, 30 plus, which would be the kind, the kind of profile of player they would n- never really imagine signing before. That was kind of a point of principle that they wouldn't sign any players of that age. Yeah, purely because there was no resale value. We know 
we can be fairly certain that Mourinho would probably prefer to have a few of those kind of players around the kind of Aquilex sort of grizzly hard <laughs> yeah, yeah, bastards yeah. that Perisic, can kind of do, you know, yeah. those, those kind Fellaini. of guys you know yeah. uh, or, or Matic who I know has been linked with the club and mm. that hasn't been met with particularly enthusiastic responses from Spurs fans from what I've seen it's just I'm just so interested to know because you know Mourinho has continually said, "Yeah, this was always the deal. I knew I was coming to a club that weren't going to spend big in transfer windows, and that's fine." And I just wonder how much that's like at, you know, like at the start of a relationship when you kind of something's said and you're like, "Yeah, no, I'm sort of just gonna, yeah, yeah, no, that's definitely fine," and hope that that will never become an issue again. And then invariably it kind of does. Like I, I just don't know. I don't know if you know Mourinho is going to be totally cool with this window after window. Everyone wants to know how you've been stung now, but I think you probably have to move on. Save that for next week. Um, really good question here to finish off. Chris Clark, 1975. Will things be good ever again? <laughs> In At Spurs. Yeah, well, I would assume so. But we if you want to take a broader seat. look, yeah. will things ever be good again? Yeah, will anything be good, be good there's again? Always, there's always peaks and troughs and ups and downs and football is cyclical and whatever else and all the other cliches, yeah. Uh, my <laughs> this is really negative actually but my, my feeling is that either it'll work and it'll be good and they'll win something or it won't work and you know there'll be a new start with a completely different approach and it'll be more like Pochettino and that'll probably happen quite quickly I don't I don't really see there being like two years of misery under Mourinho I just don't think it'll I don't think it'll go on that long if it's not working yeah that's interesting I, I mean because at the moment it does feel really middle groundy, doesn't it? Yeah. Or to me, anyway, it's kind of neither. I don't think it's been amazing, but I don't think it's been really bad. Yeah, I feel like I've flip flopped every week that we've done this podcast yeah. between like being enthusiastic or quite neg- probably yeah. even within the last half an hour. Yeah, exactly. I'm just not yeah. really quite sure how I feel about it still. So I wonder. Yeah, I just wonder. I think we're all expecting that come like next season all will be revealed, as you say, James. Either it will be really great or really bad. But I wonder if maybe it will. You know, th- there is also that option of of drift and then it's at what point do you do you act but I think it will come good again I mean like you know it does change really quickly it's, it's kind of the Hail Mary pass for this team isn't it, it you know everyone knows this team needed to be break, broken up and kind of freshened up so it's like this 18 months now uh, from Mourinho taking over to the end of next season is kind of the last hurrah you know, he'll make some changes but you suspect a lot of the players will still be there yeah. it, it's just like one last roll of the dice for that group of players before they completely scrap the whole thing and take several steps back to start taking a step forward again. I think that's how I had to look at it. Either it'll, either it'll work or it it won't and then they had to start the whole thing again. I mean, that, But if it doesn't work, it will be years before they get good again, right? Is that unfair? Do you think, I mean, I, I just, the way I sit in that, like if you, I think a team like Leicester have shown, I know that yeah. like, there is like good planning, obviously, but also if you just get in the right manager, the right fit, then... 18 months and I know Leicester have got a couple of players left over from when they won the league but literally only two I think now probably in a team regularly just Michael and Vardy right yeah, yeah. probably Fuchs. he's not in a team regularly though is he no not really um, you know but they were an absolute mess when Rodgers took over yeah. they were exactly know, they, they were yeah, in a far worse state than Spurs have been at any point this season um, and with good recruitment in the year before he took over and subsequent to that they suddenly look like an like this incredible, dynamic, exciting club again. Far more than they were when they actually won the league. Well, and that's it, it just happened so quickly with the right manager, with the right recruitment, with the right engagement, with the support. 
it all just feels so so completely different. And that that's probably another thing you should cling to if you're a Spurs fan, a bit despondent about how things are going. Is that uh, one day Jose Mourinho won't be manager anymore? <laughs> one day Brendan Rodgers will be manager of Spurs, and it'll all be fine. No, um, you know, it's, you're never really that far away from like turning the whole thing around and, and uh, you know I, I don't think if it, if it goes wrong it's going to be like the 1990s and we're going to see like a decade of relegation scraps and Jason Dezel and whatever else it's not going to be quite that bad definitely I, I just, you know, it feels like the club is at a different level now and even if they're a rubbish big club they're still a big club in comparison to being sort of a mediocre mediocre club which is what they were before and you look at what Pochettino did or, or Rodgers and suddenly you talk about, you know, with good coaching and you're talking about players in an entirely different way and you're like Leicester, yeah, Leicester are a really good side because they've got, you know, Pereira right back or something. Yeah. That's a consequence. You talk about him in that way because you've got a manager in who's transformed him and, that, and that's what Pochettino did as well. That suddenly, you know, Ali was this like world star but that's, you know, a consequence of good coaching and, you know, and, and that Mourinho may still be that person but I think it does... It, if you can get that appointment right, then things can change really quickly. That's it for this week. Thanks to Charlie and James, producer Tom Hughes, everyone at our studios, and we will be back again next week looking back at the Middlesbrough FA Cup replay and Watford Premier League away game. For ad-free podcasts, make sure you subscribe to The Athletic and listen through the app. You can get a 40% discount now by using the code SPURSPOD. SPURSPOD.